very happy to have the opportunity to be here to minister the word at this conference this year. We have a lovely subject, the preaching of the cross. I remember the first time I used that as a text in a mission in Patterson, New Jersey. It wasn't the Star of Hope mission. It was the Good, uh, Good Shepherd mission, and Brother Teachman was there, and he had a speaker to come from Lodi, New Jersey, and he was sick that night. I had never preached the word, excepting for a time or two in the open air, street corner. And so I consented after they persuaded and persuaded, and they said the meeting, they'd have to just uh, close shop if someone didn't get up there and preach. So the Lord led me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. And I uh, really enjoyed that verse of scripture, which I had stashed away in my memory, and the Lord gave help. And I enjoy that verse ever since, of course. The preaching of the cross to them that perish foolishness, but unto us who are saved it is the power of God. Now I want you to turn back with me, please, to the book of Leviticus, because my subject for the week is the cross in relation to the burnt offering, the peace offering, the sin offering, and the trespass offering. And these are found in the book of Leviticus, chapters 1, 3, 4, and 5. Now I want you to turn, please, to chapter 5, because we're going to take it in reverse order. Now you might wonder why we're taking it in reverse order. I think the divine order is given to us in the book of Leviticus, and it starts with a burnt offering and ends with a trespass offering. Because that is the divine viewpoint of the cross. By the time we get to Thursday morning and get into the burnt offering, we are going to say that the burnt offering was wholly consumed by God and for God. There is an aspect of the cross in which God alone is the gainer. But in the other offerings, we find that man is the gainer as well as God. But God gets, gets a special portion out of that first chapter of the book of Leviticus in relation to the burnt offering. Now some have found and traced and recognized the four bloody sacrifices in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the construction of this sentence and the, the grammatical construction of the uh, historic reference to the death of our Lord Jesus Christ and the purpose for that death in the four Gospels have led men to recognize the trespass offering being in the Gospel of Matthew and the sin offering in the Gospel of Mark, and the peace offering in the Gospel of Luke, and the burnt offering in the Gospel of John. Now someone has likened it, and I think it's F.W. Grant, has likened the divine order of Leviticus chapter, uh, chapters 1 to 5 as a, letter, as a ladder let down from God out of heaven to reach the earth. And then the order as given to us in the four Gospels in which many have traced these particular bloody sacrifices uh, is more or less illustrated in the ladder set up on earth to reach heaven. And I think that's a pretty good illustration of it. In any way, there's marvelous communication now between heaven and earth because of the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I make no uh, apology about getting back into the Old Testament to teach the believers today. I don't find the mystery in the Old Testament. It is not given by prophecy at all. I don't find it in the four Gospels. 
I find it in the revelation that the ascended Christ gave to the Apostle Paul. And through him we have it revealed to us. But let's not have a short or a shorter Bible by only thinking about the epistles that are written to the members of the body of Christ. And I refer to Paul's writings. I love them. But we must remember that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And that verse is still in the word of God. And all scripture is to be studied. And we read in the word that whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for a learning. And I'm still learning. And I don't want a shorter Bible to know what God has for me. I believe that back in the Old Testament we have far more definition of the cross than we get it in the new. There are so many wonderful pictures and types. And we're going to see that, I think, displayed in our offerings this week. And so I don't want to miss out on what we have in the Old Testament scriptures. Right now we are teaching in the book of Deuteronomy, not at Kissy Mills, but Kissy Mills. <laughs> so, so that might uh, remove some of the romance, I don't know. <laughs> But I tell you what, we have a few of those people from Kazee Mills with us today, and you'll find out they're a lovely group. A lot of people uh, leave the northern states to vacation a little bit as tourists down in our country. We're right in the Ozarks. We're about a thousand feet, I guess, from Lake Tiny Como. That's where our home is. And as far as the little church, which is a schoolhouse with a pot-bellied stove, and benches that you'd have to watch the snaring of your hose on when you sit down. But uh, that church is uh, about a mile and a half, I guess, from Bull Shoals Lake. So we're, we're in the Tri-Lakes area. So if any of you dear people come down from the north and visit that uh, Silver Dollar City, and I'm not getting paid for this at all, <laughs> or some other of those places, we're only about 25 miles from Silver Dollar City. We're 40 miles south of Springfield, Missouri, and we're about uh, 25 miles, I guess, from the northern Arkansas border. So I don't want to hear that you've been in the country without giving us a ring. We may not be able to put you up, but we'll show you that we have a little romance in our heart if you come. The book of Leviticus, please, at chapter 5, and I want to begin reading at verse 14. Now with each one of these offerings, we have also the law of the offering set before us in the Word. And the law of this offering happens to be in the first ten verses of Leviticus chapter uh, 7. If I don't have time to talk about the uh, law of the offering of the trespass offering, well, it's somewhat similar to the law of the sin offering, and I may be able to touch on it tomorrow. Now. I know that there are a lot of questions that will, that will be raised in your mind concerning these offerings and concerning the person and work of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why don't you reserve them till Friday and then write me a letter after that? <laughs> For this reason, I'm liable to answer your questions tomorrow or the next day. And uh, so I'll leave you my address and <coughs> you can write to me and I'll write you back. I, I'll have to uh, spend some of my time in the Word 
in the afternoons just to uh, get my mind cleared and get set for the next service. Leviticus chapter 5 at verse 14, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, If a soul commit a trespass, and sin through ignorance and the holy things of the Lord, then he shall bring forth his trespass unto the Lord, a ram without blemish out of the flocks, with thy estimation by shekels of silver, after the shekel of the sanctuary for a trespass offering. And he shall make amends for the harm that he hath done in the holy thing, and shall add the fifth part thereto, and give it unto the priest. And the priest shall make an atonement for him with the ram of the trespass offering, and it shall be forgiven him. And if a soul sin and commit any of these things which are forbidden to be done by the commandments of the Lord, though he wist it not, yet is he guilty and shall bear his iniquity. And he shall bring a ram without blemish out of the flock with thy estimation for a trespass offering unto the priest. And the priest shall make an atonement for him concerning his ignorance, wherein he erred, and wist it not, and it shall be forgiven him. It is a trespass offering. He has certainly trespassed against the Lord. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, If a soul sin and commit a trespass against the Lord, and lie unto his neighbor in that which was delivered him to keep, or in fellowship, <coughs> or in a thing taken away by violence, or hath deceived his neighbor, or have found that which was lost, and lieth concerning it, and sweareth, uh, sweareth falsely, in any of all these that a man doeth sinning therein, then it shall be because he hath sinned and is guilty that he shall restore that which he took violently away, or the thing which he hath deceitfully gotten, or that which was delivered him to keep, or the lost thing which he found, or all that about which he hath sworn falsely, he shall even restore it in the principle, and shall add the fifth part more thereto, and give it unto him to whom it appertaineth in the day of his trespass offering. And he shall bring his trespass offering unto the Lord, a ram without blemish, out of the flock, with thy estimation, for a trespass offering unto the priest. And the priest shall make an atonement for him before the Lord, and it shall be forgiven him for anything of all that he hath done in trespassing therein. Now I think we'll read two verses of chapter 7, the first verse and the sixth verse. You perhaps would like to underline some words and phrases in these particular scriptures to bring them back to your memory at some later date. Maybe you'd like to search them out. I like it where it says, and wist it not, don't you? It just shows you the extent to which our Lord Jesus Christ died for sin on Calvary's cross. And I'm so happy for those words because there are a lot of things that I have done and I was not cognizant of the fact. And yet I find that the Lord Jesus Christ has given ample answer for it in his death on Calvary. And for this reason I am not afraid of a word that we are going to read of in the first and sixth verses of this seventh chapter, and that is the word holy. It says, Likewise, this is the law of the trespass offering. It is most holy. Verse 6, Every male among the priests shall eat thereof. It shall be eaten in the holy place. It is most holy. I would like to, for you to remember these words, It is most holy. As we go back to the trespass offering in chapter 5, because you must remember that while we are seeing our Lord Jesus Christ related to our sin and thoroughly identified with it, 
and giving a complete answer of it all to a holy God, he has never lost a shadow of his holiness. We must always remember the dignity of the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has never ceased to be holy. He was never more holy than when he was made sin for us on Calvary, and this is one of the mysteries of uh, the cross. Never more holy than when he was made sin for us on the cross. And I suppose that's rather difficult for some of us to understand, but if the Lord Jesus Christ had relinquished aught of his holiness, we would not be here today as a saved people, members of the body of Christ. Now, first of all, I would like to say that these sacrifices do not represent God's provision for the sinner as such. We find that the people of Israel being looked at as those who are in bondage to a foreign power, to Pharaoh in Egypt, and in need of redemption, had another sacrifice offered in order that redemption might be experienced by them. These offerings happen to be God's provision for sinning saints. And that's why they ought to be of great interest to each one of us. I thank God that we don't have to go through the ritual any longer of seeking a male sacrifice without blemish whenever we are conscious of the fact of having sinned because we look back now to the cross and see where the Lord Jesus Christ has died to every aspect of man's need. And so we talk about the finished work of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's been mentioned several times here that his work is finished. This is one reason why God demands no more than simple faith in the Lord Jesus for salvation. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace. And we thank God for it. Now here in this fifth chapter of the book of Leviticus, we have the word atonement. Do you notice that in verse 16? And he shall make amends for the harm that he hath done in the holy thing, and shall add the fifth part thereto, and give it unto the priest. And the priest shall make an atonement for him. The New Testament word would be reconciliation. But here we find atonement, and atonement comes in the right place in the Bible. It doesn't come before the redemption of the people of Israel in the land of Egypt. It doesn't come before their consecration or their sanctification by the sacrifice of Exodus chapter 24, but it comes after that. Now there are eight major sacrifices, bloody sacrifices, around which the religious life of the people of Israel revolved. And I want to give them to you as the Word of God gives it to you in the, in the same order because I think the chronological order of them is to be observed. First of all, the first one, of course, is Exodus chapter 12, and there we have the lamb slain. We know that there were many lambs slain in that day of deliverance, but all of these lambs became but one lamb when the word it is used because they all typify the person of our Lord Jesus Christ in his death on Calvary. We find that that lamb was killed and that lamb was killed once and for all. It reminds us of what we get in the 10th chapter of the book of Hebrews. That particular sacrifice was the first sacrifice. It was the one marked out for redemption. And it was never to be repeated. 
Now the second one is in Exodus chapter 24 where we have the sacrifice of consecration. And it was by the sprinkling of the blood of the animals killed for the consecration of the people of Israel that nearness to God and access to God was provided for a people who still had to remain at the base of Mount Horeb with all of the lightning and the thunder and with a fence around it so that they would be prohibiting from stepping up to that mountain because they would die that day. They had no access only because of the, uh, only through the virtue of the lamb slain in Exodus. Redemption did not provide access, but the lamb, but the animals killed in Exodus chapter 24 provided access. Now both redemption and consecration are provided for the Old Testament people of Israel without benefit of priesthood. So far there is no need for priesthood. There is no need for atoning sacrifices. But once this becomes a fact and the people are redeemed and they are now consecrated and they have right of access into the presence of God, then we find that God gives orders concerning the building of the tabernacle and we find a priesthood and sacrificial system inaugurated in order that these people might remain in fellowship with God because God knows that there will be continual practice of sin among them. But God is not anxious that they be cut off naturally, and we find that God has provided a means whereby they might remain in fellowship with him. Now those are two sacrifices. We have the one of redemption. We have the one of consecration, Exodus 12 and Exodus 24. Now we come to four in the book of Leviticus. I am skipping the second chapter of Leviticus in which we have described the, the uh, offering, the meal offering. It's called a meat offering, but there's no flesh involved and I prefer to call it a meal offering because uh, it's made up of flour and oil and so on. In that particular chapter, Leviticus chapter 2, a bloodless offering, we find beautifully pictured the moral uh, qualities and excellencies and perfections of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now you might think that there ought to be five Gospels then. If there are four that would match up to the, to the trespass offering and the sin offering and the peace offering and the burnt offering, why isn't there a fifth Gospel to match up with the, uh, with the meal offering? Simply cause, because the meal offering permeates all the four. You see, regardless the person who becomes the trespass offering and the one who is the peace offering and the one who is the sin offering and the burnt offering is the man without spot and without blemish, the one that perfectly answers to the meal offering. So we have in Leviticus chapter 1, 3, 4, and 5, four bloody sacrifices, and these sacrifices are for atonement. They could not be revealed prior to Exodus chapter 24 because they had no right of access before God. Now that they have right of access before God, and now that they are sanctified, now that they do belong to God in a very special way, not only because of the redemptive sacrifice of Exodus chapter 12, but because of the sacrifice of Exodus chapter 24 included with it, we find now it's time to introduce atonement. Now what is atonement? First of all, atonement is God's provision for sinning saints. I think we get all mixed up sometime between atonement and redemption. God doesn't mix up these two issues. We find that redemption is in Exodus chapter 12. Atonement is in the book of Leviticus. 
I think it's in the 29th chapter of the book of uh, Exodus where atonement is mentioned for the first time. But that is after Exodus chapter 24. Everything in its order. This book is a remarkable book. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. And there is a divine order that, that, that can't be beaten and God has a reason for placing things in a chronological order. He doesn't want us to become confused. There is a difference between atonement and redemption. But in the language of today, I'm, afri I'm afraid that we get them confused. And I think some of us have the idea, I, I don't mean some of us here, I mean in Christendom, I believe that there are those who believe that the word atonement is synonymous to the word redemption. And it is not. We have people asking the question, do you believe in limited atonement? And all they're talking about is salvation. Did the Lord Jesus Christ die for the whole world or just for the elect? And they call that limited atonement, and that's not limited atonement. Yesterday we heard that it was a misnomer, and I agree with it. Now, atonement has been brought in by God in order that the sins of believers might be taken into consideration, and that the estrangement that comes in by the sinning saint or by the sinning believer might be patched up. And the only way that can be done is by the blood of a sacrifice. And since the blood of that sacrifice represents the Lord Jesus Christ, God can go on with those people. And he can remain among them and communicate with them. So atonement is a wonderful subject in the Bible. But there is no atonement to be made for presumptuous sins. I think that ought to be brought out because God never anticipates his people acting in self-will. Now, very often we do act in self-will, but we are not asked to bring an atoning sacrifice. I thank God that our self-will has even been considered by the death of Christ on the cross. And I'm so grateful for that. God has not overlooked a thing. And I believe that's the purpose of these sacrifices, is to make every one of us to have the joy of salvation in our hearts, so that we will never question as the fact of ever being with the Lord Jesus Christ in eternal glory. I know I'm going to be there. And at Kizzy Mills, I've said so many times, I am more sure of being in eternal glory than I am in arriving home at noon hour after this message is completed. I am more sure because I am not sure that I'm going to be in that uh, hotel today again. But I am sure that I will be in eternal glory because of the perfection of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. The vastness of that work, the completion of that work, the all-inclusion of any thought of sin that you might entertain in your mind. It's all been included. And the Lord Jesus Christ has made ample satisfaction for it all. No atonement for sins of presumption. But I might say, however, that atonement has two sides to it. First of all, it uh, brings about pacification God's, uh, on God's side, Godward, and it brings out reconciliation manward. I would like to give you one sample of that, please, if you turn with me to Numbers chapter 16. Numbers chapter 16. At verses 47 and 48. Now you can read the whole chapter if you want to at your leisure. 
And you will find out that this chapter tells us about the sin of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. They didn't like the office that Moses had. They didn't like the fact that God had appointed Moses to something that God had not appointed them to. And their arguments seem to be wonderful. I think there are a lot of people complaining about the, uh, perhaps some pastor somewhere. And they say, you take upon, upon yourself too much authority. Well, I think maybe some of them do. I don't know. <laughs> and maybe some of them should be uh, scoured a little bit. I don't know. I, I understand that it's the common opinion that the highest authority in the church is the pastor. Now, I don't agree with that because I think this book is the highest authority. And when I get wrong, I hope the church which is under my authority, so-called then, has uh, got the, enough knowledge of the word of God to come to me and say, Brother, for word, you're wrong in your doctrine. We can't allow you to continue any longer. Well, here in the book of Numbers, we find that this seems to be something that Korah, Dathan, and Abiram thought it was all right to talk about and to, uh, uh, to bring up as an issue. But in verse 47, it says, And Aaron took, as Moses commanded, and ran into the midst of the congregation. And behold, the plague was begun among the people, and he put on incense and made an atonement for the people. And he stood between the dead and the living, and the plague was stayed. I think this is a remarkable thing. Here we find pacification Godward, reconciliation manward. Now, I would like to think that as far as we are concerned individually, what would you do without the person of our Lord Jesus Christ at the Father's right hand? If we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is a glorious high priest after the order of Melchizedek and not after the order of Aaron. He comes out with the blessing of Calvary, with the blessings of redemption, just as Melchizedek did back in the Old Testament days when he brought forth bread and wine. Now, we find beside atonement, there is the subject of priesthood in this chapter and in this wonderful book of Leviticus. Priesthood goes along with atonement, of course, and with the atoning sacrifices. We find that as far as these priests were concerned, they had to bring the sacrifice and offer it unto the Lord. Now the word redeem and the word redeemed and the word redemption are not found until chapter 19. I only say this in order to show you that the book of Leviticus is one on, on atonement and not on redemption. Like the book of Hebrews, Leviticus is not for the children of Adam but for the seed of Abraham. In this book, we are introduced to the work of the priest. And what is the work of the priest? It is to maintain a covenant people in the enjoyment of the blessings that have been purchased by redemption. You know, and I thank God for that fact. Where would I be were not for a living man at the Father's right hand today? We have been, rich, uh, been enriched beyond computation. It's impossible to add up our wealth in the Lord Jesus Christ. And these are maintained for us, guaranteed to us, so that there is not a day in our week but what we can enjoy, those spiritual blessings that we have in Christ in the heavenlies. 
And if we are impoverished today, it is not because of any impoverishment in God's plan of redemption, but because of the impoverishment of our own souls. Because of failure to apprehend that which God has provided in the Lord Jesus Christ. May God increase our faith to lay hold upon these things. Now, the question is, uh, I've been asked this question today about limited atonement. Now, considering what atonement is from a scriptural point of view, I would say that atonement is both limited and unlimited. Now, is that going to confuse you? I believe that it is limited to all the people of God. And it is unlimited because all are included. It's not for the unsaved. It's limited to the people of God but it's unlimited because it's for all the people of God. And if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, there is a man at work for you at the Father's right hand, and the sooner you know it, the better. He ever lives to make intercession for us. He lives in the power of an endless life. Priesthood has to do then with ministering blessing, not with offering sacrifices. I don't know whether I said a little while ago that they offered the sacrifices. It was the individual that offered the sacrifice. He killed the sacrifice and brought it to the priest. Now we looked at the order of the offering and I want to say something about a few points from this particular trespass offering. You notice that the scripture here is divided between verses 14 to 19 and verse 6 to 7. We find that these trespasses, first of all, are against God, and secondly, are against man. Now remember that these are not the sins of the sons of Adam. These are the sins of the redeemed. We cannot dare to sin with impunity. Since God has allowed his son to be made sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. How can we sin with impunity when the unconverted are going to be cast into the outer darkness for all eternity because of their sin? And of course, especially for the sin of unbelief. Now here are scriptures that teach us that sin robs both God and man. That's why we should be careful about this matter of sinning, those of us who are saved by the grace of God. Somehow we detract from the glory of God and we detract also from the glory of the believer as being associated with God through Christ. Sin robs both God and man. I think that's the lesson that we have here today. We find in this particular scripture that it took priestly intelligence in order to find out the value of that which God had been robbed because of the sin of the saint. 
and the value of that which the fellow believer or the fellow saint had been robbed by the sinning saint. So the priest had to give his estimation of this. He had to say, now this particular sin runs you into debt with God to this particular amount of money or whatever it might be. And the only way that atonement could be made was not only to bring the required sacrifice, a beautiful type of our Lord Jesus, of course, but also that a fifth had to be added to the principle. And I believe that would teach us that both God and man are gainers through the cross. You know, I think Adam's sin in the Garden of Eden was a type of what we are talking about. Sin robs both God and man. But the cross is the place where that sin was judged and where restitution was made to both God and man. It was judged in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ who not only gave back the principle, but also gave back interest. The scriptures teach us in the Old Testament that our Lord Jesus Christ gave back that which was not required of him. He said, then I restore that which I took not away. But that's not the only thing he did. He could not just satisfy himself by repairing the damage that had been done back in the Garden of Eden. There must be for the saved a far greater blessing than that which man had lost in the Garden. And there must be for God a far greater glory. And in the increase of the blessing for man, and in the increase of the glory to God, we have the principle of the fifth, or the, the fifth added there unto the principle. Now we know there's been, there was a great loss through the original sin of Adam. We find in the book of Romans chapter 5 and verse 12 that by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin and so death passed upon all men in that all have sinned. I have said before at past conferences that when, our, uh, when Adam died on the, uh, when Adam sinned and when he was tested and tried, I was tested and tried in that sin. In his testing and trial, I fell in his fall I was judged in his judgment, and I was condemned in his condemnation. Now, Adam the first hasn't passed on to us much of a legacy, has he? Sin and death and judgment. That's all we have gotten from Adam the first. But now when our Lord Jesus Christ came into the world, he wasn't concerned about repairing the damage that had been done so that we could be put back in the Garden of Eden, so that we can enjoy innocence once again, as Adam did prior to the fall, so that we can enjoy life as Adam had it prior to the fall. 
But our Lord Jesus Christ provided infinitely more than that. And he has provided infinitely more than that for any particular people in any dispensation. That's what I like to see in the death of Christ. I like to see his death in this trespass offering as that which he died on Calvary's cross in order that God might receive more honor and more glory throughout all eternity and that those who had come by faith to the Lord Jesus Christ would receive more blessing than that which was ever lost in the Garden of Eden. Now I thank God that the Lord Jesus Christ did not come into the world to put me back in the garden and give me Adam's life that he had prior to the fall. I have infinitely more in the Lord Jesus Christ than that. I have the fifth added to the principle. And so do all of you. We cannot lightly look upon what Christ did on that cross. It's hard to find in the New Testament scripture, isn't it? Language like this that would tell you that the Lord Jesus Christ provided a fifth over and above the principle in order that God might be definitely more glorified through the fall and through redemption than he would have ever been had innocence remained in the garden and upon this earth. Let's think of a few things that, or let's think of a thing or two that God lost through Adam's fall. First of all, I believe that he lost his place in this world as the supreme ruler. He was a creator of all things. And the New Testament scripture points out the Lord Jesus Christ to be the person of the Godhead of whom these things are spoken, the creator of all things and the sustainer of all things by the word of his power. And yet we find that as far as God was concerned, he was robbed of his glory. As seen was introduced because through the fall, as seen was introduced in which we find that every attribute of God has been trampled underfoot and is still being trampled underfoot. God does not have his place among men. He doesn't have it as far as the politics are concerned. He doesn't have it as far as social life is concerned. He doesn't have it as far as the religious world is concerned. And this world is made up, up of a world of worlds, the world of entertainment, the world of politics, the world of religion, the world of education, and everything else. And there is a God over this world which is not the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Is there going to be more than a restoration through the death of Christ on the cross? Let's turn to 1 Corinthians, please, in chapter 15, that lovely chapter on the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ and our resurrection. First Corinthians chapter 15, and I would like to read two verses, 27 and 28. It says, For he hath put all things under his feet, 
But when he saith all things are put under him, it is manifested that he is accepted which did put all things under him. And when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. Time is going to come when Satan will be in the everlasting burnings for all eternity. He is no longer going to be the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. He will no longer be the God of this world. And someday, because of the redemption that's in our Lord Jesus Christ, God the Father is going to be supreme once again. And all the persons of the Trinity will have their proper place throughout all eternity. Working, of course, in conjunction with each other for the happiness of those who have been redeemed, whether they be in the heavens or in the earth, because there will be new heavens and a new earth. And may I say, I believe that that glory of the new earth will by far surpass in glory what the Garden of Eden ever was prior to the fall. I don't have the imagination to conceive what a place the new earth is going to be. But I do believe that it will excel in glory anything that God has ever previously created and that fell under the fall. Now in the remaining time that I have, I'd like to talk about a few things that we have lost. You know, when you look back at uh, the early chapters of the book of Genesis and you see the result of the fall, you see that Adam was driven out of the Garden of Eden. The day that thou eatest the rod, thou shalt surely die, and Adam died spiritually. And we also find out that as soon as they had sinned, they saw themselves naked before God. They lost, shall we say, whatever creature glory they had, consistent with the fact that they were fresh from the hands of God as God's creation. Suddenly they noticed that they were naked in the sight of God. Now it would have been a wonderful thing if God just simply allowed the Lord Jesus to die on the cross and take us all and put us back in the garden and give us the life that Adam had and then put us, uh, give us the glory that Adam and Eve must have enjoyed which was taken from them in virtue of their having sinned. But I'm glad that's not what he did. I wouldn't be able to detect the one-fifth principle thereof. So if we look at these three things, let's start with the first. We find as far as Adam was concerned, he was driven out of the garden. Well, that would be the last, but what's the difference? He was driven out of the garden of Eden, wasn't he? We find that in the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ and in his ascension that he has taken a seat at the Father's right hand and taken every member of the body of Christ with him. We are citizens of heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 6 tells us that we have been raised and seated with Christ in the heavenlies. That's far above and beyond anything that Adam ever had. God never called Adam to enjoy that, did he? But God has called us to enjoy it. We have already been raised and seated with Christ in the heavenlies. 
And if there is an unsaved person here this afternoon, may I say that you are not included in that resurrection and glorification of our Lord Jesus. And it is very incumbent upon you to see that you are lost and in need of what Christ has provided by the blood of redemption on Calvary. And God only requires now, because of the completeness of his work and the vastness of the task of our Lord Jesus Christ completed on the cross, all he requires is simple faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Here I am, a poor lost sinner. And if I die this very moment, I'll drop into the eternal burnings forever and forever. In hell will I lift up mine eyes, being in torments. And yet you can avoid all of that by simply accepting Christ as Savior. God doesn't ask for the raising of a finger. He doesn't ask you to stand up where you are seated right now. He doesn't ask you for a change of physical, uh, of your physical condition, whatever. He wants a change of heart attitude and a change of mental attitude. He wants you to recognize that you are one for whom Christ died. And only by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ can you enjoy what God has provided. And that's not a return to the Garden of Eden, but a seat with the risen Christ at the Father's right hand. Then we find another thing that Adam lost back there. He lost that garment. Every man ever since then has come into the world naked as far as God is concerned. Morally and spiritually naked. We may dress ourselves up in religion's uh, uh, most marvelous piece of finery. We may dress ourselves up in the moral clothing of a moralist. But all of this will not avail. In the sight of God we are still by nature destitute of clothing that will suit the eye of God. God's eye. That's one thing we have impressed in here, that is the offering, can remember, is always holy. It is most holy. And what has God offered to us? A garment of skins? No, we have something infinitely better than that. That's just a type of what God is offering today in the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe Adam, when he looked at the garment of skins, would say to God, well, I enjoyed what I had before. That garment of glory, so consistent with my being a creature of your creation, of your making. But no, we find that God provided the garments of skins for him. But in it we find a beautiful picture of what God has for us today. If you are naked this morning and destitute morally and spiritually, what has God for you as purchased by the cross? When we go to Romans chapter 3 and 21, and I know we all love the book of Romans, Romans chapter 3 and verse 21, we have a scripture there that comes in after God tells us what the law has done in relation to the people of Israel. In chapter 1 we find that the Gentiles are guilty before God and there are none among them without excuse. They are already in a state of condemnation. 
Abraham was in that state when he was called by faith because Abraham was called out of a family of idolatry according to Judges chapter 24 or Joshua chapter 24. God had already concluded the Gentile as, were, as being under sin and now in the third chapter we have the fact that God has given the people of Israel the law not to us but to the people of Israel and they broke the law. And so God came to the conclusion in verse 19, Now we know therefore that whatsoever things the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped. You see, only the mouths of the Gentiles were stopped up until this time. Now the mouths of the Jews are stopped. Only the Gentiles have been seen as condemned before God. Now the Jews are seen to be as condemned in order that God might bring in one grand work of reconciliation for both that every mouth may be stopped and all the world become guilty before God. Only the Gentile world had been guilty up until then. But now the law brings all the world guilty before God. Therefore by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. No one can work his way into the presence of God. For by grace are ye saved through faith in that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God which is by faith of Jesus Christ. Now instead of a garment of skins as back outside Eden's garden, or instead of a, gar uh, a garment, shall we say, of glory consistent with the fact that, that Adam was created by God, and I'm quite sure there is a glory associated with every aspect, every aspect of God's creation. Now we find that God is not offering us that which was lost, but we are now getting a fifth added thereunto. Now it is the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference, for all have sinned. Now notice, it is unto all, but only upon all them that believe. The message of grace goes out to everyone that's in this room tonight, uh, this morning. Christ died for every one of you this morning. The Bible says in that he died for all. Now, I don't know if you notice that there's a difference between all and many in the New Testament scripture. And some people are confused over the words all and many. The word many we read in that book that talks about atonement, and that's in the book of Hebrews. Chapter 9 and verse 28, in fact. And the word all is given to us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Now sometimes the construction of a verse will tell you just exactly what particular, what particular offering is involved in that verse. What I'm trying to say, if you want to hold on to Romans chapter 3 there, you go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we will get the word all. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And verse 14, well, we can read it in verse uh, 14 and 15, both. 
In the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. We've got it duplicated here. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all. Do you believe that Christ died for all? Then it says that we're all dead, and that he died for all a second time. That they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. I believe that's redemption's all. Now, I think that if you want to put this back to some offering in the Old Testament, you put this back into Exodus chapter 12. But when you go to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 28, and since this is the book on atonement, I think that you will have to put this back with a trespass and sin offering. Depends on the structure of the words in a given verse. It says in verse 28 of chapter 9, So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. Now I believe that that has to do with the sin offering and the trespass offering. But I believe the fifth chapter in verses 14 and 15 of 2 Corinthians goes back to Exodus chapter 12. If you want to put it, in an offering. There is no conflict in the Word of God. A lot of people have tried to find fault with the Word of God because in one verse you have all, in the other verse you have many. There is no conflict, and you can't make the all the many, and you can't make the many all. There are two groups of people because there are two aspects of the death of Christ on the cross. I was once numbered among the many, uh, among the all. Now I am numbered among the many. Back to Romans chapter 3. Are you here this morning and you wonder what God has provided, what the fifth principle is or the fifth over and above the principle? If you are not saved, may I say first of all again that you are naked in the sight of God. There is no covering that's going to satisfy God's eyes. God is of too pure eyes to behold iniquity. And when we see fig leaves placed upon Adam and Eve, we find that the holiness of God's eyes went right through the fig leaves and he still saw them naked. And you can clothe yourself with churchianity if you wish, or with morality. But there's one thing that's going to be everlastingly lacking, and you'll find that at the time of death when outside of God's presence you'll be for all eternity. And that one thing is God's provision here, the righteousness of God without the works of the law. Unto all and upon all them that believe, have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you as a poor, guilty, lost, hell-deserving sinner reached out by simple faith to the man that died on the cross and said, yes, Lord, I believe that I'm the man I'm the woman, I'm the boy, the girl for whom you died, and I accept you as my personal Savior. I guarantee you, based upon the Word of God, that you will be saved the very moment you receive Christ. For to as many as received him, to them gave me the power, the authority, to become the children of God. And lastly, we find that Adam and Eve died. They died. 
and we died in them. It took a second Adam, the last Adam, to die so that we who are saved by the grace of God could die in him so that we could be raised to walk in newness of life and to take our seat with the Lord Jesus Christ at the Father's right hand. God today is not restoring the life that Adam and Eve had in the garden. He is giving us life more abundant. He is giving us eternal life. Life that never can be touched again. Adam had a life that could come to a close. It could terminate, and it did terminate. But God has given to every one of us the fifth over the principle. We have everlasting life. Did Adam and Eve lose their glory back in that garden? Yes, they did. But what is God restoring in its place? Philippians chapter 3, is it verses 20 and 21 or 21, 22? Can't think of it right now. But anyway, for our citizenship is in heaven from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall come and change our vile bodies or bodies of humiliation and fashion them like unto his own body of glory. Nothing short of a body of glory like unto his glory. And that's the fifth, over and above the principle. Well, we haven't touched on everything of this, have we? This is not a word study. We need hours and hours and hours in these offerings, if that's the case. But I trust your appetite has been whetted. And I trust when you leave this conference, you're going to go home and think about some of these things. Possibly as you re-listen to the tapes, you're going to get your Bible down and try to get into it and get some more out of these wonderful types. What beautiful pictures of our Lord Jesus Christ. How vast the work he has done. No greater person has ever walked the streets of this world than the person of our Lord Jesus. And now he's exalted to the Father's right hand, crowned with glory and honor. Why? Because by the grace of God he has tasted death for every man. May the Lord bless his word to us, shall we pray. Father, we're so grateful to thee this morning for the gift of thy word, for the gift of thy Son, for the gift of the Holy Spirit of God, who loves to take out of the word of God the things pertaining to the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank thee, our Father, that we are sought to do this this morning. We have sought to magnify the man who, in humiliation, was made sin for us on Calvary. And yet, Father, we read in the word of God that he was manifested to take away our sin, and in him there is no sin. We thank thee, our Father, for the consciousness that every person here can have who is saved by the grace of God, that we're going to be glorified and have bodies likened unto his body of glory throughout all eternity. Help us to walk as glorified beings now. And if there's any unsaved among us this morning, our Father, we just pray that wherever they've been sitting, enough has been said to lead them to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. May they walk out of this place as an heir of God and a joint heir with the Lord Jesus, able to take their place too, seated with Christ in the heavenlies. For we ask it in his name and for his honor and glory. Amen.